The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. If you would turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28, I want to share something with you. Uh, this, is, this is for me, okay? So if you ever think that I'm trying to step on your toes, this is something that has convicted me as of late. I want to talk to you about evangelism. What does it mean to evangelize? Well, for one, you know, primitive Baptists have this kind of reputation. We're, oh, we don't evangelize. Well, well that's, that's a misunderstanding. Here's, here's, what, here's what we believe as primitive Baptists, okay? There, there's been a strong push for evangelism in, in certain areas of Christianity, and we know that that push is to save people for heaven. And, and if, that, if, if that was how I believed, then I would be just as earnest about it as I could be. I, I, I have good friends and people that I have deep fellowship with who believe that it is up to them to save souls for heaven. And rightly so, the, the brother that I'm thinking about, he cannot rest. When he takes his family on vacation, he is, he is witnessing to the waitress. He's, he's doing everything he can to save souls. And... and that's not what we believe about evangelism, okay? But in Matthew 28 and verse 18, lest we overreact and say, well, we don't evangelize at all because God saves his people for heaven. This is what Jesus himself says. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is his instruction that he gives to the church. Amen. He has just founded the church. And then he says, go do this. So here we are now, thousands of years later, in the church. You know, Jesus didn't come to this world and set up a social club Amen. for us to just hang out together and, and be comfortable together, okay? That's not our purpose. Our purpose as the church of God is to be a refuge for his children. Amen. And there are his children out there who are burdened and laboring under their own works, perhaps, maybe just ignorance. We are to be reaching out to them and saying, come in with us. Amen. That is our purpose. Right. We should be evangelizing. Amen. So how do you do it? Okay, how do you evangelize? I think that this is something that we're all intimidated by a little bit. Regardless of how outgoing you are, you can be intimidated by evangelizing. Some may say, well, I just don't know the Bible well enough to be able to answer somebody's questions. Or I just don't know how I can insert the Lord into this conversation. I mean, how, how do we go about doing it? Let's look first at, at doctrine, because I think that's one big major category that we think about when we think about evangelism, where a conversation comes up and you're intimidated by it, maybe, because you just... Maybe you don't know all the answers of doctrine. Let's look at First uh, Peter chapter 3. Brother Chris, did you drink out of this cup? Okay, thank you, thank you. 
<laughs> Don't want to drink after my father-in-law. That'd be weird. First Peter chapter 3. And y'all know the verse I'm going to, but I want to read it to you. In verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now this is a verse that has convicted me, that has intimidated me, it says, as, as a child of God, regardless of whether you're a, a preacher or not, you're supposed to be ready to answer somebody. When they ask you, why are you different? Why can you have hope in the midst of this dark world? You're supposed to be able to have an answer ready. Now, if that, if that steps on your toes, then you're like me, okay? This is something that we need to be striving toward, okay? If, if you're not studying the Bible on a regular basis, you need to, okay? Just because your seed is saved in heaven by the blood of Christ doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay him back with some measure of gratitude in studying this. Now, it'll never, it'll never recompense salvation. But man, because he saved us, we ought to study it. And be ready when somebody asks you. And so if you're a little intimidated by the fact that, that maybe you don't understand all the doctrine, we need to get busy. We need to get busy studying. This needs to be a personal pursuit of yours and, and of mine. And look, you're not going to know all the answers. Okay, I'm going to share some people with you who were great evangelists, and they didn't have all the answers. I'm going to look at some examples in Scripture. But you ought to, to the best of the ability that the Lord gives you, Pursue the truth. Pursue the answers. If somebody asks you about what you believe about election, you should be able to formulate an answer to that. Let's look at 2 Timothy. Book of 2 Timothy, and you know this verse too. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 15. To study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now I know this is this, the primary application of this is to preachers, to, to the men of God who were uh, delivering the word. But look, this, this applies to everybody, okay? This applies to every child of God. You ought to be studying, studying to show thyself approved unto God. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you've had that opportunity where somebody is talking about doctrine and, and, and maybe you just haven't been studying up enough on doctrine and you can't answer. You can't give the answer that they're looking for. You've, you ever felt ashamed after that? That's what he's talking about. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Don't let yourself be in a position where you're ashamed that, you didn't, that it, you didn't work harder, that you didn't try harder. There's been many times where I've come to the pulpit and, and I have just, I have been ashamed before the Lord. You know, because the, the, the great magnitude of this duty 
to go before people that he shed his blood for and try to tell them about him. And I come there and I'm, I'm so ashamed that I did not spend weeks and hours of time. You know, he deserves all of my time. Amen. And yet I just give him just a tiny portion. Don't be ashamed. Don't put yourself in a position that you'll be ashamed. Amen. Study. Study. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Maybe you've, you've been like me and you've you found yourself in this situation. Maybe you've been ashamed for another reason. Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul says here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Man, I'm so glad that we use the King James Version translation of this Bible because I've looked at other translations and they mess this verse up. They'll say that, that the gospel saves you. No, that's not what this is. It says it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. If you out there believe in God, it is the evidence that you're alive. The scripture is for you. The scripture is for somebody who's born again. It means nothing to somebody who's not born again. Okay, that's what it's talking about here. The gospel means everything to a child of God. But have you ever been ashamed of the gospel of Christ? We live in a society right now that if you post what you truly believe as a primitive Baptist on your doctrine, on social media, if you in, in the public sector, if you're out there in the world and you just say, this is what the Bible teaches about abortion, this is what the Bible teaches about gay marriage, this is what the Bible teaches about hatred and hate speech and all these other things, if you say that, you will be canceled. You realize that, right? It's real easy if you are not pushing and studying the word to get into a position where you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Where you're scared of what people might think of you. You know, as primitive Baptists, we of all people ought to be the least ashamed of our Savior. Amen. You know that? Yes, sir. Now, if I believed in a Savior that bled for me and then is now begging me to help him out, and that I've got to then take that to a group of people who hate me, that hate Jesus, that hate the gospel, that hate everything, and say, you're doing it wrong, you need, you need Jesus, you need love. Because Jesus loves you, but not enough to save you entirely. I would be ashamed of that. And I do not mean to mock anybody. That's how I believed all my life. Okay? I'm not ashamed of this Savior that we preach here, okay? Because He died. He, he, he bled for me. He died for me. He lived for me. And then He gave me life against my wishes. Praise God. That's something we shouldn't be ashamed of. If that's what it means to be canceled, then cancel me right now. Go ahead and cancel me. 
I want it, you know? It was kind of like early on during, during the COVID pandemic when it was sort of in its height. I know we're still in it, but early on, I was like, I want to go ahead and get it, you know? I want to go ahead and get this thing. You know, if, 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 if getting canceled by the culture is something that's looming out there for me, go ahead and hit me with it, you know? Go ahead and hit me with it right now. I want there to be enough evidence <laughs> to convict me of being a Christian. You know, when I want it to be stacked up perfect. We do have some examples of, of people who were uh, converted on doctrine in Scripture. One that I think about is, is the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, the Lord leads Philip down there uh, to be with him. And he, he gets next to the chariot. I mean, I love the, the response that, that this brother has, that he, he's in there. I mean, he's in a revival in the city. And then, and then the Lord brings him away for one man. You know, one man's worth it. He goes down there. He gets himself, he positions himself in, 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 a, in a perfect position uh, to, to witness, to evangelize. And the Ethiopian eunuch is just is reading from the scripture, and he's just saying, man, I don't know what this means. What an open door, right? Yeah. And, and, and he was there, he was ready to, to run straight through it. Amen. And what does he do? Well, this brother knew the scripture. He didn't just have to, this wasn't his first time to hear this passage in Isaiah. And then from that passage, he teaches him about Jesus. And, and I want us to get, be clear on this. This Ethiopian eunuch is a child of God. Right. What, what had he been doing? He, he left Ethiopia, traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship God, yes, our God, and was on his way back. That's a child of God already. But he still didn't know Jesus. Man, how, can we even fathom that, right? That our God saves his people, period. But evangelism is still so important. It's so important to God that he took this brother that was in the midst of this revival, he uprooted him out of that, brought him down into a wilderness, out into the desert, to reach one man who was already a child of God. That is the love that God has for his people. He wants their burdens to be lifted. You know, because it, it means a lot to me, because I, I have felt that in my life. Jesus died for me and saved me from my sins thousands of years ago, but you know what? Just a few years ago, I was burdened by those sins still. I had no idea that he had already set me free. And I'm telling you, the evangelism of some of you preaching to me, teaching me about what he had already done for me. That means the world to me. Amen. If I could just perhaps even be used of the Lord to bring that to somebody else, even just one person, praise God. Right. You know, we also see Paul on Mars Hill. He is preaching. I mean, he is preaching doctrine. And yes, he gets some conversions. And we see, other, we see other examples, but I want to move on. I, I don't want to take a whole lot of time tonight. 
But look, it's not just about doctrine. Look, you should be studying. You should be studying to understand doctrine. But I want to show you somebody who had no idea about doctrine and was still a great evangelist. John chapter 9. John 9 and verse 25. So don't let that intimidate you in being an evangelist for Christ. You say, well, I don't know as much as brother so-and-so, or I can't quote the entire scripture like brother Ronald Lawrence or something. You know, you don't have to be that. You know, the Lord gives you gifts, use them. John 9 and 25, we've got this man here, this blind man that Jesus healed, and then he goes in, and they, they bring him in, and they, they're, they're wanting to understand what happened, and he is, they're, they're asking him questions about who is Jesus, who, what, what did he do? And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. You know, he didn't even really know the details about Jesus. He just says, I know this. I was this way, and now I'm this way. I was blind, and now I see. I know this. I may not be able to tell you all the, the deep details of, of, of deep doctrines, but I tell you one thing. I was a dead sinner. And Christ saved me. He saved me from my sins. So apart from doctrine, the largest way that you evangelize, and I would argue that even even greater than just knowing doctrine, is your way of life. The way that you live your life preaches the gospel of Christ. What makes you different? You ever thought about that? What makes you different from the world? That's been something that sometimes is aggravating, right, as a child of God. You say, man, it would be so easy if I could just do this without guilt, <laughs> if I could just live the way the world lives. That's not, that's not you. You are different. And that's something that I tell, that I tell victims sometimes when, when we're prosecuting a case and and maybe they're upset about the process. And it is an aggravating process. Justice under the law is, is aggravating. It is slow. And they get aggravated. And I tell them this. I say, look, that's what makes us different from them. That's what makes us different from the criminals. Is that we get justice through the law. Right? As a child of God, what makes you different? You don't just do things the easy way. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 13. Brother Joe uh, alluded to this in his prayer. It says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt had lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. 
you as, as God's children in this world are, are the preserving elements, the salt in this world. You want to know why, why this world has not descended into chaos any faster? It's because there's God's children sprinkled out there Amen. preserving this world. And that's why when I look at this, I feel like things have gotten exceedingly dark as of late. And it's so easy if you're watching the news to blame so many different people, to blame this party, to blame that party. You know who I blame? I blame myself. I blame God's people out there. You know, because you don't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't blame a piece of meat for decaying, right? It's the fault that, that there's no salt to preserve it. Okay, that's whose fault it is. It's our fault as the church of God. Maybe we need to examine ourselves, and, and I'm not grinding an axe up here. I'm talking about myself, okay? Maybe I need to step up to the plate, start being a little more salty. <laughs> and then he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As the light of the world, as, as, as light out there in the midst of darkness, what are we doing? Have you ever found yourself just, just hiding a little bit of your light? I know I have. And in this cancel culture that I've already mentioned, it's easy to do that. It makes you stick out. When, when you're a ray of light in the midst of darkness. But that's what God said we are. And so you can, you can either hide that light and be disobedient to Him, or you can go ahead and buckle up and let your light shine out there in the darkness. Now, I'm not saying that we have to, we have to be arrogant and that we have to uh, shake our fist in the face of society and we have to, have to be brutish about it. I'm just saying, we ought to be salt and light. Let's go to John 13. John 13 and verse 35. I'll go to verse 34. Jesus himself says here, he says, A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Have you noticed, you notice in this world that there's not a whole lot of love going around anymore? Amen. That there is hatred, in fact. Hatred across skin color lines, against party lines, I mean, you name it. There's hatred out there. And, and I'm convinced that we have now been so, we have so fed the, the lust of our flesh that we as a generation are incapable of love in the way that Christ loves us. But he says this of, of his people. He says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now we have so many so many adversaries 
out there in the world. So many problems that we could face. But yet, even amongst ourselves, we squabble. You know, you realize that, that Satan loves to, to divide people amongst themselves. I mean, one of the easiest ways to, to defeat uh, an opposing army is to get them scared that they start fighting each other. And then you can just sit back and watch, right? I mean, the Lord used that a few times in Scripture. Um, people are doing it now with, with social media fake news tweets that nations are sending out there to stir up people. But he says this of us. Listen, in, in the midst of all the chaos and all the swirling ideas and doubts and fears and anger out there, this is how we're supposed to be identified. It says, if you have love one to another, does that identify you? When people look at you, do they see a loving person? Now, it doesn't mean that, that people just steamroll over you. I mean, Jesus, nobody could steamroll Jesus, okay? But we ought to love one another. When people see you out there in public, they see you at your workplace, they see you uh, at the park or wherever it is, you ought to be known by your love. Are you the person that gets upset in the checkout line when it's taking a little long and that person out there that is just is, is checking you out as fast as they possibly can? Are you that person that gets frustrated? You know, you being loving and forgiving and kind to that person may be their image of Christ that they see. Amen. You get that? Or what about in, in traffic, right? Are you going to be that person that's going to lay on the horn and is going to rev your engine? And, and, you know, because if you were to be forgiving and loving, you may just be that image of Christ for that person. Right. You understand that? You don't necessarily have to... Uh, roll down your window and start quoting Ephesians to him. The way that you live, the way that you love is how you're identified as, as God's people. Or at work when things are frustrating and, and things aren't going uh, fast enough for you, you just may be able to show the love of Christ to somebody by being patient and loving. You know, I've heard it said of some of our members, praise the Lord, that there's something different about you. Now, now, being different just for the sake of being different is not necessarily a good thing, okay? I know a lot of people that are weird, <laughs> including myself, okay? But if somebody sees that you're different from the crowd because of the way that you love, because of the way that you hope, because of the way that you forgive, that is a great thing because then they come to you and the doors open. You don't necessarily even have to open the doors. They may even just open. They may come to you and say, what makes you different? What gives you hope? And you know what you can do? You can say, come and see. Come and see what gives me hope. Come and see what gets me through this darkness. And we'll, we'll, we'll go there next. Let's go to John chapter 1. 
And as we're, as we're turning there, I want you to remember that your way of life is so, is so important that, you, that there, there are accounts in Scripture where people have literally been converted to the truth because of somebody's way of life. We see that with the Philippi, uh, Philippian jailer in Acts 16. You know, the earthquake comes while, while Paul and Silas are singing. And then all the doors open. And, and then the jailer is about to commit suicide because he has failed. All the prisoners are getting out. He knows it. But you know what happens? Nobody leaves. And then he comes to them. As, as Paul cries out to him, he says, don't be afraid. And then he falls down at his feet and says, what must I do to be saved? Man, you know what brought him there? It was their way of living. They were different. You know, I know a bunch of people in, in orange jumpsuits that if the doors of the prison opened up, they would not hesitate one second. Gone. What makes, what makes you different is that you are okay with suffering for the, for the case of Christ. But the main way that we evangelize is, is like I said, come and see. So John 1 and verse 35, we, we, we join Jesus here. It says, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So we have two disciples of John, and John makes that proclamation, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. You know, they were there following John because they were waiting for Messiah. And so here John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And they immediately started following Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, that is, to say, that is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? They come to the Messiah and they say, Where are you, where are you dwelling? And he saith unto them, come and see. See, Jesus right now is teaching them, teaching his first disciples, this is how you evangelize. He says, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first so after he, he dwells with Jesus, after Jesus tells him to come and see, he first goes and findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas. This is by interpretation of stone. You see this? This Andrew comes to Jesus. And he says, where do you live? And Jesus says, come and see. He teaches him how to, how to evangelize. And then he goes to his own brother. And he says, come and see. I want to take you to Jesus. You know, we don't know a whole lot about the ministry and the life of Andrew. Um, Peter's, Peter's brother, Peter, kind of overshadows him a little bit. We, we do know that he was one of the apostles, one of the, one of the disciples, and apparently one of the first disciples. 
But the only two times that we read of him. I pray that this is what I might do in my life. Of all the great things that you see the other disciples do and Peter do. Andrew is known for bringing people to Jesus. The only two times he does anything significant <laughs> that we read of was this. This is one where he brings his own brother to Jesus. The other time is when these Greeks, they come to the, to the disciples of Christ and they say, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And what did Andrew do? He set up a meeting. He brought them in to see Jesus. Oh, may I be that person. I don't have to be the main act. Just let me bring somebody to look at somebody else. To look at Jesus. You know, he's not, he's not famous for, for great works, but man, praise God. He brought people to Jesus. But notice this, this keeps going. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith, unto him, uh, saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, and, uh, and whom is no guile. You know, Jesus already knows him. He's saying, here's somebody who speaks his mind. Okay, he, he cuts straight through. He's no deceit in him. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And his tune changes immediately. He says, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know, I like to think of this, this chapter, or at least this portion of this chapter, as the seeing passage. You've got Jesus teaching them to come and see. And then, and then Andrew takes that and, and uses that. He says, come and see. And then Philip uses that. And then when, when Nathaniel comes there to Jesus, he is doubting. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, I saw you. Yeah. You know, we often think of how important it is to see Jesus. But Jesus says, I saw you. Right. Talking about the God that sees us. The God that sees me in my current shape. They saw him under the fig tree. And I don't know what that means. I suspect he was, it was some moment that, that obviously Nathaniel would have remembered that Jesus saw. And I've got to say this. I know this is off topic, but we talk about seeing Jesus. Jesus saw Nathaniel. Jesus saw us. What did he see on the cross? 
as, as the wrath of God was poured out on him. You know, Isaiah says that he shall see of the travail of his soul. He shall see his seed. What did he see from the cross? He saw you. Amen. He saw each one of you as your sins were laid on him. Man, that is a God that we can evangelize about, right? That is a God that we should be excited to talk about. All right, and I'll close with this. I know I've spent a little more time than I wanted to. This is not just talking about evangelizing uh, people who don't believe the way that we do. I know that's how we normally think about it. That's my default view when I think of evangelism. But child of God, I, I, I want to tell you this. There are times, many times, most of the time, when I need one of you, I need one of you brothers to come to me and to take me to Jesus again, to evangelize me. We need to evangelize one another. Evangelism is, is, is bringing good news. That is something we ought to be bringing to one another. You know, we have examples of that in Scripture, too. I think about Paul and Peter. You know, there was that, there was that uh, problem that Peter was having when, that he was, when, when, the, uh, when the Jewish people were around, he wouldn't hang out with the Gentiles, right? And then Paul called him out for it. You know, there's a sense in which we need each other to evangelize each other. What about... What about Brother Apollos, right? Man, gifted preacher, Lord had blessed him, had, had called him to the ministry, but yet there was a little issue that he had on doctrine, and Priscilla and Aquila took him aside privately, very respectfully, and they taught him more perfectly the way. And that's not, they weren't preachers, okay? Right. Priscilla and Aquila were not preachers, but yet they evangelized this this very gifted preacher. And in Hebrews 16, I'll close here. I said Hebrews 16, I meant Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what we can do? as we're going through this sin-cursed world together, we can provoke one another to love, to good works. I, as I said before, I need you, just like Andrew. I need you to bring me to Jesus, maybe over and over again, to see Him again, to remind me why we're going through this sinful world in the way that we're doing it. That we ought to be Proclaiming the name of Christ. Now I pray that, that we are known, not just, not just among this church, but as a people, as, as God's church, that we might be known for the way that we love one another, for the way that we are unapologetically in love with our Savior. If, if, if that is a crime, then I will plead guilty. That ought to be our attitude. And that's not always my attitude. That's when I need you to provoke me again to love and to good works. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.